You are listening to the Reality Church Ventura podcast, a collection of sermons from our weekly Sunday gatherings. To learn more about reality, visit us online at realityventura.com. Not three, but five statements where they may reshape what you expect about the Christian life, how you expect God to be at work in your life. And the first is this, work must be done. When we think about life in God's kingdom, it will involve work. In these two short stories, the emphasis is on the sower, the seed, the process, and the harvest. And the first act we see is sowing representing the work of sharing the message of Jesus Christ. Verse 26, he also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Lest you have come to church with the expectation that the Christian life is all about you passively sitting on the sidelines while other things happen, work must be done. There are some Christians who have thought over the years that once I become a Christian, all I have to do is be by myself, go off the grid, you know, max out my credit cards, whatever, because Jesus is going to come back someday and I'm just going to sit right here, do nothing, and wait. Well, that is not an expectation that comes from the Bible. There is work that must be done. Verse 26 pictures a man doing the work of scattering the seed. And as we've seen thus far in the other parables, the seed represents the message of God's good news. Jesus has come to give us forgiveness and new life. And the work is a call for us to receive, to retell, and to reflect this message with our lives. And make no mistake, it takes work. Or to put it another way, like the sowing of the seed in this parable, the gospel is to be shared. There is news to tell. Imagine if today you were given the cure, handed to you for a disease that many had. And that doctor says, you, you need to give this to all who are in need. That's what she says. And you wouldn't keep it to yourself. Of course not. You would get it out. You would most likely work hard, put in the effort to make sure that everyone knew about this cure, that they had access to this cure, and then they would share it with others. Well, friends, the message of Jesus deals with the greatest danger of all even greater than physical illness, which is the separation from God because of sin. But the good news of the gospel is that we can be brought into relationship with God, forgiven of all of our sins. This is what heals us from the inside out. This message not only must be received by you, but then retold and reflected in the way that you live your life. Everything we do as a church is meant to center around this fact, this message that we are to share this and to tell this with others. If you're a new Christian or maybe new to this church and you're not yet engaged with the work, this is a call for you to be involved, to get into the work, 
to share that message, to center your lives around this message. All of our effort, everything we're doing as a church comes from this commission that we have from God to share his good news. That's why we're discussing scripture and thinking of the implications of the gospel for our lives and seeking to share it with our, our neighbors, whether it's our kids' ministry, our youth ministry, when we gather here on a Sunday and we hear from God's word or we're doing different events, we're investing our time and our talents and even our, our treasure and our money. This is all about receiving, retelling, and reflecting the word of God to all who are around us. It takes work. The same is true for your own personal growth. If you want to grow, it's going to come by hearing the word of God. So you've got to crack open the scriptures and engage and read and pray. As Paul the Apostle says in one of his letters to the Philippian church, we work out what God works in. So the first thing you need to know, your expectation about the kingdom of God, is there is work to be done. Like a farmer, we are meant to be hard at work. But... Also, like a farmer, the second thing you need to know is that waiting is required. And I'm not gonna lie, I hate this point. If you're anything like me, you do not like waiting. I'm like, why do I need to learn waiting? Like I'm a parent, it's all I do is wait. Like if you're anything like me, you're the one in the car, key in the ignition, ready to go while your family's still in the house because you don't leave when you need to be somewhere. Some of you are like, what? <laughs> you need to leave before. Any, is anyone with me? Can I get an amen? Right? <laughs> I hate waiting. And I remember, and we'll never forget, years ago when I was given my first sabbatical break from full-time ministry, my friend encouraged me to read a book on spiritual disciplines. I was like, sure, why not? Of course, I'm a professional. I love the chapter on prayer. I love the chapter on study. But then I got to this chapter in the spiritual disciplines book called Waiting. I was like, oh, I don't need to learn this. And what shocked me and what surprised me about this lesson was not only did it give a scriptural explanation to understand what waiting means and some practical application, but it gave you suggested practices for that day. And here was the first one. Today, when you go out and go to the grocery store, find the longest line and deliberately choose to stand at the end of that line and talk to God about how you feel about it. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. So I did that day, I, I deliberately chose the line. So many people, I get at the end, I'm irritated, I'm frustrated. That lady clearly has 14 items when the sign says 10. Like, who do these people think? They, oh Lord, I'm just frustrated, I don't like her, I don't like this. But make no mistake, in the Christian life, waiting is required. The farmer's sleeping and rising in the parable represents the passage of time, night and day, day and night. It seems that life goes on. Verse 27, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. The agricultural metaphor seems foreign to those of us that don't have a green thumb, 
but they are so good because we live in a very fast-paced society that has forgotten how to wait. But waiting is required when you're living life in God's kingdom. Because as we wait, as we sleep, as time passes, something is happening. And, and here's really the important lesson. Sowing takes work, but growth takes time. Let me just repeat that, because it's key for you and me. Sowing takes work, but growth takes time. Now, many scholars believe that this parable was told by Jesus to deal with the impatience of those who thought they should see more happening than they were. And isn't that how it seems for us? We can grow impatient as we await certain results in ourselves, in the world, and in other people. I remember one day my daughter, when she was younger, she would save up her money and we'd go to this shop that had all these like really cheap little like crafts and things that you could get. And one day she, she was so excited, she bought what we were told on the package was a magic tree. You bring home this little bucket and you put water in it and the tree, the, the tree will miraculously grow. And so we get home and in her excitement and passion, she rips open the box. She puts the water in the little bucket and she sits at the table and I go on doing, you know, my whatever, my, my chores around the house. And she's just sitting there and all of a sudden within five minutes, she's angry. And I turn back, I was like, what are you doing? She's like, well, it's not growing. It's a magic tree. The magic tree isn't working. And I was like, well, did you look at the box? So we looked at the box and it says, the magic tree may take up to 36 hours to grow. She didn't read the box. She had unrealistic expectations. The tree wasn't working according to her time schedule. And as I was lovingly, gently correcting my daughter, it was as if the Holy Spirit was speaking to me like, oh, who really needs the lesson in this kitchen, Tim? Because I, like many of you, struggle with waiting. Sewing take work, takes work. I get it. But growth takes time. I don't always get that. Maybe you want to see certain areas of your character grow. Maybe, maybe you want more patience. And so tomorrow morning, you'll get up, read the Bible, pray this epic prayer. You're like, Lord, in the name of Jesus, give me patience. Try it again. Let me give me patience, Lord. You're like, I did the work. Lord, I read your word. I prayed. Where's the patience? See, sowing takes work, but growth takes time. Think about the church. Right now, there's probably a lot of expectations that you have in your own heart about the church, capital C, but also this church, lowercase c. Maybe you want to see friendships form in this church. Well, You've got to do the work. You've got to engage. But growth takes time. So during the meet and greet time, it's not like, hey, what's your name? Can we be best friends? <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> because it takes time. Maybe you want to see certain ministries arise or grow or be strengthened at Reality Ventura. And you may even carry a frustration. Like, I'm doing the work. I'm praying for it. I mean, since last week, I've been fully engaged. Growth 
takes time. Perhaps some of you want to see a significant change in your marriage. It's going to take work. You know that. But the growth will take time. Maybe it's your ministry, whatever it might be. We would all do well to heed the parable of the farmer. And what I find interesting is that this theme is repeated over and over again in Scripture, patience with farming. Hear the words of James chapter 5. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. Patiently, there's the word again, waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient, third time, and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. You do not need to be a Bible scholar to note that if a certain word is repeated several times in a short passage, it's worth noting. For James alludes to patience three times when it comes to growth. We must get to work, but we also must wait. Some of us this morning need our expectations reoriented today because you had a timeline and maybe you gave it to God. You're like, God, here's what I want in my life. It's my to-do list. And I'm frustrated with you because since yesterday, you haven't done everything on my list. Brother, sister, if that's you, you need to know that yes, work must be done, but also waiting is required. God is at work. But it is not always apparent to us how he is at work. And so just to set your expectations, here's the third principle. There will be mystery. There will be mystery in the Christian life. You've got to do the work. You've got to sow the seed. You've got to read the word of God. You've got to, you've got to pray. You've got to get engaged with community. But you've also got to wait Going to sleep, rising, going to sleep, rising. The passage of time is going to be a part of how God does his work. But third, there will also be mystery. I don't know if you noticed when we read it the first time, but in verse 27, after the night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. Though the farmer does not know how. Verse 28, all by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. What is Jesus emphasizing here? Well, in a world where we think so much depends upon us, where we think we can figure, it, figure everything out, learn a life hack, watch a YouTube video, program it, package it. Jesus makes it very clear that the cause for spiritual growth is not ultimately dependent upon us and we will not always understand how it is at work. God's work goes beyond human explanation. This applies to how a person's heart changes. And if any of you have ever tried to change someone's heart, you know that you can't do it. 
and that there is mystery involved. No human intervention can make this happen. It is a work of God. That person that you're sharing the gospel with, that neighbor that you're praying for, that family member that you're, you're sharing with, like, Lord, change their heart. Man. You can't do it. You can't convert anyone. You can only share the message, the seed, that once planted in that heart can bring about a radical change. I think about people being changed even within the church. I heard a sobering story this past week of a marriage that has completely fallen apart. The, the man was just living in immorality and he was approached time and time again by family members, not in our church. I was meeting with another pastor and they were telling me this story. The whole staff was like pleading with this man, like, don't do it, what are you doing? You're going in the wrong direction. But he had dug in his heels, hardened his heart, and he filed to divorce his wife. And everyone said, well, there's nothing more we can do. The decision has been made. And so they just kind of resigned, like, okay, this is the new reality, and came around the, the wife who had just been divorced, tried to encourage her. What nobody expected is that nine months later, that man showed back up under the doorstep of his ex-wife's house, pleading in an attitude of repentance for another chance to build trust and to rebuild their relationship. And that day began a process where that man was able to bear fruits worthy of repentance and over time build trust and eventually they just got remarried again as a result of his repentance. Here's what was amazing about that story as the pastor was telling it to me. Everyone had given up hope. Month after month, everybody thought it was a done deal. But all the while, what was happening? God was at work in this man's heart. Like the farmer sowed the seed, he goes to bed like, I don't know how it grows, but God was at work. We don't know, always, always know how. There will be mystery involved. It says in verse 28 again, all by itself. See, this is important because back then at the time, there were, on the one hand, political zealots who thought that they could bring about God's kingdom through revolution and force. And then on the other hand, there were these religious leaders who thought that they could bring the kingdom of God through their religious observance. And those two groups are very much alive and well today. There are those who think, well, if you want to see change in this world, we've got to do it. We're going to bring it about through revolution and, and force. And then there are others who think, no, it's going to be through my own religious observance. Man, if we just, if we just kill it at the Christian life, and if we just do well enough, then we will bring God's kingdom to earth. But friends, the parable of the seed warns us against connecting God's work to our own strategies, to our own abilities, to our own plans, to our own timetables. In the gospel, there is a hidden power that brings forth fruit that human effort can never achieve and human intelligence can never explain. Or Paul puts it simply like this in 1 Corinthians. I planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. 
This is true of sharing the good news of the gospel. It is also true about how God works in different seasons of our lives. We need to remember that there will be mystery in different seasons of your life. We will not always know how he is at work. Along the journey, some of you have faced suffering. Some of you have faced setbacks. Some of you have faced profound difficulty. The job that you got, it's not working out. Though you prayed about it, you thought it was the right decision, you went for it, and you're like, man, this is falling apart. The hopes you had for your, your family, maybe a particular relationship. And in those seasons where it is not apparent to me or to you that God is at work, the temptation is to give up. I've been there. Some of you have been there. And some of you are there this morning. And the Lord wants to speak to us and reshape our expectations. I can recall countless times where things aren't going according to plan. Things aren't working out the way that I thought. I freak out. I think God is inactive. I think God is unaware. But that is why, friends, it's so good for us to go back to the word of God because we have in God's word not only principles that tell us to wait and that there will be mystery. He also gives us story after story after story of men and women who have been through the exact same thing. See, think about it. When you read the historical accounts in the Bible, we have a privileged view. We know how the story ends. We have all the behind the scenes information. And it's important for us to remember that when we think about our own lives. Right now, I'm reading through um, the life of David. And if you know anything about the life of David, you'll know that there was a point in time early on in his life that God made it very clear that he was going to be the king of Israel. God said it. He declared it. It was a promise. But if you read on about David's life, you will know that there's a little plot twist called Saul. Saul was Israel's first king, and though he had turned away from God and had been rejected by God, he would not let go of his throne, nor would he stop seeing David as a threat. So David goes through year after year after year knowing that God had made him this promise and yet not seeing the outcome, not seeing the result. And if we put ourselves in David's shoes, you would just expect him to give up. Many of the Psalms were written from that place and yet there's always a little lift when he expresses his sorrow. He says, nevertheless, I will trust in you. Nevertheless, I'm gonna defer to God, which is a reminder to you and to me that when you bring your unmet expectations to God and your frustrations to God, don't do it with a closed fist, but with an open hand. There will be seasons where you do not know how things are going, but don't come with a closed fist. Like, God, I, to I gave you my PDF, universally read on all digital platforms, just so you could see it, and you're not following it, and I'm frustrated. But rather come with an open hand saying, you are God and I am not. It requires humility 
Dive into the word of God. We know how the story ends. Allow that to be a lesson to us. It's like my, my youngest daughter, I, it's like a rite of passage in the Chaddock household. Like at one point in their lives, they will all watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy, extended edition. And so I was just able to take my youngest through it. And there's moments like, you know, I've seen it probably too many times. I was gonna mention a number, but that's embarrassing. So I've, I've, I know how it all ends. And in these moments of crisis, I see my daughter like, how's it going to turn out? And I'm like, Gandalf, I'll, I'll tell you later. I know how it ends. So I'm, I'm experiencing the journey, but I know how it ends. She does, does not. But friends, when we read the word of God, we know how the story ends. And so we must rest in God's sovereignty. Because according to the Bible, we're not always given explanations for every season, but we are given promises for every season. Which is funny because I usually want the explanation over the promise. I'm like, God, what are you doing in this season? He's like, I am with you. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like, I just want to know what's happening. God, how come this isn't working out? I will work all things together for him. I'm like, oh, here's another promise. <laughs> See, Let's be honest this morning, friends. Many of us, we've come here because I want an explanation from God. Instead, he gives you a promise. But in the end of your life, you will realize that that promise is far greater than any explanation you could ever be given. Because right now, we don't see as God sees. We do not see from an eternal perspective. Right now, we say, I don't like how you are working, God. But in the end, when we are in glory with Jesus Christ, we will look back over our lives and you know what we'll say? You've done all things well. You've done all things well. So what I want to say is this. Don't be surprised that you're in a season where you can't work out what is happening. It's not unique to you. And be careful lest you become cynical as we wait. We might ask, like many people in Jesus' day did, where's this kingdom of God stuff making all things new? Where's all the redemption stuff that I see some Christians post about on like Facebook all the time? And yet such skepticism comes from the expectation that God's kingdom will come like a lightning bolt from heaven, overwhelming force and change, but Jesus says, no. That's not how it works, which leads to the fourth principle. Greatness begins small. How does God's kingdom work? What should you expect in your life and in the kingdom of God? Greatness begins small. We think, okay, he's at work. I don't always know how, but how's he gonna bring it about? And so Jesus goes on in the next parable, which radically reshapes how things work when it comes to God. And to do so in verse 31, he refers to what was known as the smallest seed of all. The mustard seed. Verse 30 and 31, again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. I hear that and my immediate thought is like if, if Jesus was on like Shark Tank or whatever, like this is a terrible business pitch. Guys, I've got a great idea. It's absolutely tiny. Everyone's going to be like, well, I'm not going to invest in that. Can you imagine Jesus pitching this as a business plan? Guys, there's this thing called the kingdom of God. It's the tiniest thing you've ever seen. Everyone's like, well, you're not really selling it to me, Jesus. A more compelling analogy, in my human opinion, would be 
Jesus coming in, they're like, guys, the kingdom of God is like a glorious mountain. I'd be like, yep, I'm ready. But instead, he says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. No doubt, people took a look at Jesus and then looked at his untrained followers like Peter, James, and John, and they probably thought, surely this can't be the answer. (laughs) Imagine you were born and raised in Israel and you're waiting for this promised rescuer of God and Jesus shows up, he's poor, he's, he's homeless, he's not overthrowing Rome, and then he's got these 12 guys who are like idiots at times and you're like, surely this can't be it. But they, like us, assume that if change is going to happen, It's gonna come from something that looks massive or impressive. And yet Jesus is saying this is precisely how the world will be turned upside down. Which is a challenge to human perception and our opinions about smallness and significance. This is how the gospel will spread. It will start out small, but it will grow. It's also a picture of how he works in our lives. This apparent smallness that starts when we want to see change in our lives, oftentimes so small that we tend to give up. This also is nothing new. When you read the story of Israel, you learn that when the nation of Israel had to begin their work of rebuilding the temple in their homeland after being brought into captivity for many years, they faced opposition and many setbacks to the point where many abandoned the work altogether. It didn't seem like the work was worth it. It was too small. And it was actually in that very context that God spoke through the prophet Zechariah saying, do not despise, Zechariah 4.10, these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Maybe that's a word for some of you in this room. Do not despise these small beginnings. It could be that many of us have disposed of the small things in our lives, just praying every morning, reading every morning, continuing to press on, in a life of community. Maybe there's a a family member that some of you are praying for and you just, you don't see the change. And maybe you just feel like you're ready to give up. But if that is you, we must not. Why? Because it reminds us, this parable reminds us that the power comes from God himself. It often begins small. It is not dependent on human strength. It's not limited by our own perspective. The days of small things are not an accident of God. He uses them for his purposes. This is so encouraging to me. I think about my whole life. I've just been reflecting on it more as I've run into some old people that I like went to Bible college with when I was a, I was a new Christian. Like the, the fact that I even like do church ministry is hilarious. Like I meet all these pastors with like PhDs and I'm like, I barely graduated high school. I got three letters. It's called GED. That's how I graduated. And yet in the midst of the small things, like God did his work. I often feel 
constantly, like there's no way that God can do so much with, with so little. The same is true for all of our lives. But it's in those moments where we're reminded this is how God works. His power is made perfect in our weakness. Ultimately, we're reminded of Jesus Christ himself, who is infinitely great, but he became small when he came to this world to live on our behalf, to die on a cross on our behalf, and to rise again. God will bring about the greatest result through what seems to be something weak. Like the mustard seed, the cross of Jesus looked like a failure to all of the watching eyes. And yet it has become the very reason that any of us in this room are even saved. Because when Jesus Christ died on that cross, he died as a payment for our sin, for all of our wrong, providing forgiveness for all. Don't be put off by what seems unimpressive. Like a mustard seed which grows large, God's kingdom is present, though often hidden underestimated, ignored, it will burst forth in growth because here's the last thing that you need to remember and you should allow to reshape your expectations. The harvest is worth it. The harvest is worth it. That's the last thing. Work needs to be done. Waiting is required. There will be mystery. Greatness begins small, but don't give up because the harvest is worth it. Jesus uses this imagery in verse 32 to contrast the smallness of the seed when he says, yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. The harvest will come. And it will be unbelievable in its results. And it will bless all who come and receive. See, the Old Testament prophets often use the images of birds nesting in the trees to symbolize the arrival of the nations into God's kingdom. Isn't that interesting? Because church, this is not only a parable about growth, it is a parable about grace. All those who have no right or claim to God's kingdom will be able to enjoy it as their own. The birds will come and perch in the shade that it provides because the way that anyone gets into God's kingdom is by grace through faith. And the harvest will be remarkable. This is the story of the church growing miraculously against all the odds. It's what I get so encouraged when people talk about how dark things are because I've read the Bible, because I dabble in church history, I'm always like, bring it on. God always does some of his greatest work in the darkest of times. No challenge is too great for him. We say, God, you don't know how bad 2023 is. And he's like, try me. You meant it as a warning. I take it as a challenge. Watch what I can do apart from human ability, apart from human strategy, apart from human ingenuity. It is through faith in the incredible work of God. And mostly this points to the gospel. 
the cause of this incredible growth itself. When Jesus was laid into a tomb on Good Friday, they thought it was all over. And yet on the third day, Jesus rose again, demonstrating his victory over sin, Satan, and death. And it is our faith in him that enables us to look forward in hope. Because Jesus was a prototype, if you will. His own death and resurrection foreshadows our own. The assurance that we need now comes by looking at him. If you're ever discouraged, God, are you ever gonna bring about a harvest? Look at the life of Jesus. There was a time when people thought it was all over and yet he rose again. Friend, there will be times when you think there's no way this is moving forward. There's no way I can experience this healing. There's no way I can experience this transformation. There's no way I can figure out and sort through this problem. Yet one day you will be in the presence of Jesus Christ and all things will be made right. All things will be made new and you will look back and you will say, you did it perfectly, Lord. You did it perfectly. So allow God, amen, allow God to put that encouragement into your heart so that you can get busy, do the work, go to sleep, wake up with the confidence knowing, even though it's not always apparent to you, that God is at work. If you are not yet a Christian this morning, receive Jesus today, receive that seed today. The message of his life, death, and resurrection is the only thing that can save you from eternal death. Believe in him and begin that journey today. And for us as a church, we have a time right now to respond and to bring all of our expectations to God and let go and invite the Holy Spirit to reorient us and to reshape our expectations according to his word. Will we do that today? Whatever area it is in your life, will you surrender it to the Lord in humility, saying, God, I don't know how you're at work, but I'm gonna choose to trust you because you're God and I'm not. I'm not gonna walk away from you. I'm not gonna give up. I choose to trust. To trust you with my family. To trust you with my marriage to trust you with my growth, to trust you with the church, to trust you with this season. And when you do, even this morning, you will experience a renewed urgency in your work. You will experience a patience in your waiting and a renewed confidence that in whatever way, God will finish the job. And so Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't give up. Let's pray together. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for those who are on the verge of giving up, that you would put hope in their hearts as they look to you. I pray for those who feel discouraged in their waiting, that you would encourage them right now. I pray that faith would arise in our hearts, that we would keep on doing the work that you've called us to do and to leave the outcome to you. I pray for those with resentment that they'd be healed, frustration that they would be transformed, and that we would all find ourselves just kneeling in your presence, rejoicing that we have such a wonderful, faithful God 
who knows how the story ends and is worthy of our trust. So Spirit of God, would you move right now, we ask in Jesus' name.